0: The sleeper in the bust. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open, file, a case shut. A short, stop, or stop short. Press play or press board. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and no pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? who's missing? The sleeper in the bust. The sleeper in the bust.
1: Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. Today we'll be discussing a hit machine, injuries, and bullpens. But first, Eno, I need you to calm me down and uh, stop me from jumping out the window. And tell me, why did I trade for Justin Verlander? Because I'm not a happy camper right about now.
0: Uh, I don't think there's like a, you know, there's no... One thing to look at in his statistical profile that says, you know, there's a big deal. I guess he's lost a little velocity on his fastball, but, I mean, most of it looks like he should be doing well. I mean, I'm with you. I would have traded for him.
1: Uh, I traded it. It was a deal involving uh, Francisco Liriano thinking that, yeah, Liriano's been good, but he's also been lucky. And, I mean, obviously, anybody probably would think that Verlanders would be better than Liriano the rest of the way. And facing the Mowerless Twins, you'd think it would be a dominant outing, and no, he gives up six runs in six innings, so I'm annoyed. Anyway, I seem to always complain about my pitching staff. It's something that I was born to do. But instead, we are going to talk about the most interesting player alive today, and that's Ichiro Suzuki, who, when I saw him atop the search for a list, I actually had no idea why. Then I realized that he hit his 4,000th professional... Hit last night, which obviously includes time in the Japanese League, which is quite an impressive feat. I mean, obviously it combines both leagues, but still, uh, to have that many hits in two leagues combined, I mean, that's pretty freaking amazing, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the I just don't know how much to count the ones in 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 Japan. It's just you know the the, the pitchers there are probably like somewhere between Triple A and Quad A. And um, and the majors, so, you know, you have to discount some of those. But, you know, it's also hard to hold against him the fact that we have set up our system like this and that Japan sort of keeps their players as long as they do. And, you know, because we we could have had Ichiro from day one, and then he probably would have 3,000, 3,500 hits at least. You know, I would say probably north of 3,500. And he'd have a shot at 4,000 for his career just here. Um so it is something to be celebrated in that light in that you know he probably would be pushing that number anyway uh but uh, uh you know it, it i if it keeps him from you know sticking around much longer then i think it's a good thing
1: yeah so right now you mentioned 3000 hits he's 278 hits away from 3000 which probably at this stage i mean the yankees are mostly benching him against lefties. so he's become a platoon player So 278, it's probably going to take at least two more seasons or around two more seasons. Do you think he gets to 3,000? I mean, right now, he's going to be 40 in October. He's going to be 40 next year.
0: Yeah, and so many things are eroding. I mean, you can't count on him for that excellent Babbitt anymore. Um, You know, his Babbitt the last three years has been right at 300. He's just been like – he's getting to be league average in in, in the places that he was excellent, and he's always – you know, been below average in terms of power, um, so you know he doesn't even take walks, so he's not really an on-base uh, guy. So uh, it's hard to see what you'd use him for, especially since you know he's like 25, 30 steel guy at most, and I, you know, I think probably you know going forward as a 20 steel guy. I mean, what I guess you could use him as a fourth outfielder in a in a uh, on a championship squad, uh, but even that. You know, depends on some defense, which isn't always there.
1: Yeah, so usually for a Hall of Fame standards, 3,000 hits automatically get you into the Hall. So if he gets 3,000 hits, do you think he's pretty much a slam dunk Hall of Fame candidate? And what happens if he does not reach 3,000? Maybe he ends his career with 2,900. Does he make it into the Hall? Well, you know,
0: I think then you come back to this 4,000 hit thing. And we're going to have a lot of discussion about, you know, how much that stuff should count. Um, obviously, it shouldn't count literally, uh, but uh, people take in all sorts of uh, things into, into consideration when they make their vote. And, you know, excellence in another league, I think, could be up there with, um, you know, considerations of leadership. You know, you like let's say you have a player who's got, you know, almost 3,000 hits and, and was a good Defensive outfielder that you know was a semi-star and um, you know was a great leader in the clubhouse that could maybe have as much value, perhaps as a, a guy who you know had an extra thousand hits in a, in a lesser league somewhere. Um, I mean, it's 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 not something you can literally consider, but I just think I just do think that it'll come up and it will persuade some people to vote his way.
1: I mean, the way I look at it is. I can basically ignore his time in the Japanese league and just take his major league resume and and say that even though he right now he has 55.4 WAR which I think is a probably borderline maybe a little bit low in terms of Hall of Fame standards but if you add in all the the cultural impact that he's had and he was basically the early wave of Japanese player coming over and the media storm and how big the impact he he had, I think that's enough to get him into the Hall of Fame, even if his overall performance on the field is not necessarily enough. I mean, it's it's close enough that I think the rest of it, all the intangibles and all the clubhouse and the media stuff, I think if you add that in, that's enough to get him over the hump.
0: Yeah, it is really interesting. I mean, I don't think there's any other player uh, who's come to our leagues, maybe like a Yao Ming, that you know, didn't quite perform awesomely, but was basically Michael Jordan in their home country. I mean, that's that's what, uh, I, I heard a story recently, that someone asked Ichiro how big he was in Japan when he first came over, and he just answered Michael Jordan.
1: So,
0: uh, that is, uh, I do think that should be considered, and I think uh, I think you're right that the intangibles might put him over the hump.
1: Yeah, and that's not something that us stat geeks normally say, but in Ichiro's case, I mean, I, I feel like the Hall of Fame would be it wouldn't be right not to have him in because he's so legendary and he is memorable and he will be remembered. I think he should be remembered based on the impact that he had when you add everything together.
0: Yeah.
1: All right, let's move along to a scary injury in Atlanta. Jason Hayward, fractured right jaw, probably going to be out for the season, even though they're saying four to six weeks. I can't imagine them bringing him back before the end of the season. I mean, the worry I have right now as a Braves fan is I'm hoping he can be back for the playoffs. But, yeah, I, think
0: that, I mean, I do think they'll bring him back for the end of the season, but not, like, for two weeks. I think they'll bring him back for, you know, two or three games to get his timing back. That's possible, yeah. Oh, so, I mean, they just – I think they probably want him to see Major League pitching before um, before he uh, – before he, the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, it's – that sort of thing sucks. And I thought it got him more on the, the helmet than anything, but uh, – they it's, it appears that they put a, a plate on both sides of his jaw. So that sounds like a terrible, terrible surgery that I never want to have.
1: Yeah, I actually did not get a chance to watch the replay. I'm not sure if I want to because just reading what happened, it, it hurts. It hurts my face. I'm like, no. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> reading about the surgery, I mean anything involving your face and your mouth, and it's probably going to affect his eating. Oh, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah, I get
0: this like weird feeling, and I start licking my teeth and, and...
1: <laughs> licking your teeth. Yeah, you know, it's just like, oh, my teeth are still there, thank God. Yeah, well, I mean, if nothing else, he's going to be undervalued in fantasy leagues next year. I'm gonna say. So. Yeah,
0: people have been asking me interesting questions about keeping him at, at certain rounds, you know, and, and being like, should I keep him in the fourth round? The fourth round, to me, sounded like it's too high because, you know. Even though I think he's a fourth-round talent, I'm not sure that he's going to go in the fourth round. So yeah. So that doesn't make him a great
1: keeper in the fourth round. But somebody asked me about the 11th round. I said, yeah, I would still like him in the 11th. What what league are you playing in that he fell all the way to the 11th round? That, that sounds like somebody that he kept for multiple years, and he's yeah. kept his 11th round. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. So, all right. So, obviously, this is going to affect the outfield in left and in center. Basically, they're going to probably use some sort of a rotation between B.J. Upton, Jordan Schaefer, and Evan Gaddis. And the crazy thing is, is that it speaks to how bad Upton has been this year that it's not an automatic of, okay, B.J. Upton now is going to be back to playing full-time in center field with Schaefer and Gaddis platooning in left. And that's not probably not what's going to happen. It's probably going to be Schaefer and Upton mostly in center with Gaddis mostly in left. And, again, it's just... Amazing to me how far B.J. Upton has fallen, especially given the contract that he received in the offseason.
0: Yeah, I uh, just had someone tweet at me today, or I think it was in the chat, saying "Did they finally drop B.J. Upton. They felt great about it.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I normally wouldn't have recommended it if he continued to play every day, but the fact is that he's just going to lose playing time. And you know what? In June, he actually showed signs of life. I mean, he walked... of the time, 17 walks, only 25 strikeouts, which is a big improvement for him. But that was it. I mean, July and August, he's back to his normal ways. In July, 34 at bats, zero walks and 14 strikeouts. And, And this month, three walks, 19 strikeouts. And his highest batting average in a month, 238 in June. So he's been a mess all season long and I, they've got to work with him all offseason to figure out what the deal is. But I would assume that Schaefer is going to get the majority of the time and, and only get benched against lefties, right? Yeah. Over ga- Over Gattis, you mean? No, over B.J. Upton. I would think that B.J. Upton's only going to play against lefties now in center and platoon with Schaefer. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a tough one.
1: Uh, we'll have to watch that one. I mean, I just don't. You know, Schaefer's not that great. Well, I, he is. He is posting a 3.83 wOBA against righties this year, and lots of walks, decent power, uh, decent strikeout rate. Uh, obviously, a 4.11 BABIP isn't gonna be sustained. But the fact is that he's hitting righties, and BJ, and we know Freddie Gonzalez likes playing the hot hand, and and Schaefer at some point was a top prospect. He has been good in the past at some point. So. He's actually been bad defensively I didn't know that I thought he was a good defensive outfielder
0: yeah he he's fast uh, and a lot of what he does you know comes from that but he doesn't he doesn't take good routes in the outfield or, or roots or however you say that and um and uh I think that you can see yeah I hate to do this you know it's not not great baseball smarts in terms of just like not a great approach at the play not great not great roots to the ball so I feel like um you know he's got he's got some athleticism but he's and he's doing better now making the most of it I mean his walk rate is up um and he's he's you know trying he's trying as hard as he can to stay in the major leagues but um I if BJ Upton was BJ Upton it wouldn't be a question
1: Yeah and the thing is is that Jordan Schaefer's babbip is going to drop and once he stops getting on base via the base hit he probably is going to start losing playing time in normal circumstances. But B.J. Upton still has to hit. And the fact that he's not means that Schaefer's leash is probably a bit longer. So you wonder what they're going to do there. But, I mean, this is a nice boost to Evan Gaddis, especially since, you know, all year he has catcher eligibility. And, I mean, obviously he's cooled off a lot. But he's still good. He still has very good power. And he makes reasonable contact. And his bad hip is only 251. So I mean, he might not be a, a real negative in batting average if his BABIP does increase.
0: Yeah, the one thing that I've uh, that I've heard a lot of is should I drop Mike Napoli uh, for Evan Gaddis now that it looks like he might get more playing time? Um, you know, and given equal playing time, I could see them being very similar hitters. Um, and I guess Napoli's got some sort of foot issue and. You know, he's got a high bat if it's keeping his batting average respectable at all, given his, uh, you know, almost league-worst batting uh, strikeout rate. So I, you know, I I said in the chat today I'd keep Napoli, but, you know, looking at it some more, it's possible I would take Gattis over Napoli.
1: Yeah, I got that same question in a comment in one of my articles about Napoli, and I said, no, I wouldn't drop Napoli. But he's battling that plantar fasciitis, which Albert Pujols has dealt with the last couple of years, and that... That's a killer of an injury, because it doesn't seem to ever go away. It just basically flares up, then it's okay for a couple of games, then it flares up again. And it seems like these players sometimes avoid the disabled list, but then it affects their performance at the plate. And and that's really difficult with Napoli, considering all those other red flags. His power is down, his uh, strikeout rate is high, and his BABIP is high. So it, it looks like he can pretty much be kind of worthless the rest of the year, which is crazy to say, but... I mean, that's tough. I, at this point, I think I probably would recommend Gattis over Napoli, but I would have a hard time just dropping Napoli outright.
0: Exactly. I mean, he, you know, he has that power upside. Um, and we've seen it. We've seen, you know, and he – this is just a new thing. I mean, he, he, he was supposed to be terrible this year because of his hips. So, um, you know, at least it's not his hips. Um, and – uh you know, I, I, I have a soft spot in my in my heart for him just because um I just love how, you know, all or nothing he is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this year it's been more of nothing than all. Right. <laughs> Alright, let's move along to some bullpen chatter. On Sunday, uh David Weirs and I discussed the Baltimore bullpen and I speculated. I, I, I thought that even though it hasn't been officially announced, I suspected that Jim Johnson was no longer the closer. I had recommended picking up Tommy Hunter. And sure enough, Tommy Hunter got a save last night, and Jim Johnson has been pitching in a role not normally uh, for a closer. So do you think there is kind of an official, unofficial change here and Tommy Hunter is the new closer, or is it just kind of a, a break and, and Jim Johnson is eh, kind of the closer and they'll mix it around?
0: I don't know, man. They, you know, the, 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 If you go to the manager, he says, I'm putting my best foot forward, sounds like a committee. Uh, but, uh, you know, the real, uh, the real, you know, the real proof of the pudding is basically when you look at the, the, um, the, the usage and actually, you know, I've thought Tommy Hunter in the past, but then I really, I just try to really look into it today because I'm getting a lot of questions about it. And, you know, it's really hard because yeah, Tommy Hunter has the velocity, but he doesn't have the strikeout rate. His curve actually has bad peripherals. Like his curve does not get good strike, uh, good good swinging strikes. It doesn't get good ground balls. So I I always thought his curve was good, but you know it doesn't look like from the numbers that his curve is good. So you're talking about a guy with a with a plus fastball and a you know not great secondary pitch. On the other hand, you've got uh, Francisco Rodriguez, and though it doesn't you know it doesn't seem like he's being used like a setup man. You know, I, I checked, the you know, the last couple of games where they were close and Jim Johnson was still the closer, K-Rod actually pitched the eighth. So, um, you know, I don't think K-Rod's out of the picture yet. And even though his fastball comes in six miles an hour slower than Hunter's, his, uh, his changeup is better. Um, and he's getting more whiffs and he's getting way more strikeouts. So um, I don't. You know, I I wanna I wanna agree with you. You know, I love the fact that you know Tommy Hunter is starting pitcher reliable, um, eligible in a lot of leagues. Um, I love that I picked him up in all the leagues where that matters a long time ago, and now I might get saves from a starting pitcher, which is great. Um, but um, you know, I, I don't think K Rod is out of the picture completely yet.
1: Yeah, that might be the case. I mean, I, I had just been looking at his usage earlier. I'm not sure which game you were referring to where he pitched the eighth, but it seems like. He had been pitching earlier in games uh, that I was looking at. But Tommy Hunter, you, we always talk about potential closers and platoon issues. Well, Tommy Hunter has them. Lefties, 352 Woba this year, 453 XFIP. He strikes out nobody from the left side, 12.3% strikeout percentage, and it doubles against righties. So he's good against righties. He's just not good against lefties. But the Orioles have Brian Mattis, who is very good against lefties, terrible against righties. So once again, this seems like a situation where for the time being, Tommy Hunter will come in to face righties. But if there's a lefty up to either start the inning or to end the inning, they should take out Hunter and bring in Mattis and, and have one of those platoon closers. And that's the way it should be. I don't know if that's the way it will happen. I mean, we've seen Brad Ziegler. Uh, you know, he, he hasn't – he's been a bit shaky lately, but he he was successful uh, early on, even though we can't get lefties out, and, and they continue to just throw them out there uh, and, and face both lefties and righties, so you never know if these managers actually look at platoon splits, but it just suggests that Hunter really isn't a full-time closer guy that can hit uh, hold the job all year.
0: Yeah, it is funny. I mean, I, I tried to use Arsenal to predict um, closer uh, closer changes a little while back, and you know there are a ton of fastball slider uh, closers out there, so... Um, you know, I think maybe they're just more willing to accept, um, you know, uh, a little bit of a problem against lefties. I mean, it's obviously they're not going to be willing to accept it the other way around. That doesn't make any sense. So, uh, you know, if you're a lefty closer with platoon splits, you're way, way worse off. Um, so at least, uh, Hunter's a righty. And that's the weird, you know, the weirdest thing is that I had, had always thought Hunter was a lefty in my head for some reason. So that doesn't make any sense. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I'm looking. I'm looking to the next game. Uh, I would say Hunter's obviously ahead. He's he got the last save, so that's that's immensely important. And um, you know, for what for what it's worth, K Rod over his career does not have platoon splits really. So
1: yeah, changeup probably is, has a lot to do with that, and his curveball. So
0: yeah, he's pretty he's pretty good, and you know, he's still getting the whiffs, even though the fastball velocity's so far down. So
1: I wouldn't be surprised, actually. All right, let's move along to the Colorado bullpen that seems like it could be in flux as well. Rafael Betancourt just blew a save yesterday. He just recently returned from the DL, and Rex Brothers was doing a fine job when Betancourt was on the shelf. But Betancourt, there are red flags all over the place. He's walking more batters, swinging strike percentages down, his velocity down. He's 38 years old, so, I mean, it's not a surprise that his skills are trending downward. That's usually what happens to pitchers when they get older, so I mean, is there really a, a question here about whether Betancourt finishes the season as the closer, or is it? Do you think maybe he gets traded as one of the late season trades, or what do you think is going on here?
0: Well, I I, I think it would be hard for him to pass through waivers because at four and a half million dollars for the full season, you're talking about you know risking uh, you know less than a million dollars to block someone, so. There'd be a lot of teams that would, uh, you know, spend five hundred, eight hundred thousand um, dollars. You know, look at what happened to Jesus or De Jesus. Um, <laughs> he uh, he got claimed just because uh, the Nationals wanted to block somebody, and it was partially probably because he had a lower salary. So I think you know, if someone saw that you know you know a team needing bullpen help was behind them in the waiver waiver thing, and they didn't want them them to have him, they would they would claim him. Um, you know, I think what they were doing possibly by putting him back into the closer role actually was evaluating him because they have a mutual option next year. And I actually am now beginning to think that um, Betancourt would take the mutual option because it's $4.5 million for next year. And I think he would take that. So I think the Rockies might be pl- you know, putting him into closer to see do we you know, even want him in a high leverage uh, situation next year. Um, so – you know, every time he blows it, the most more likely it is the brothers comes back. His brothers is the guy that's going to be on the team next year no matter what. Um, so I think that's what they were doing when they put him back in the role. I, d- I think that also means
1: his leash is not going to be super long. You yeah, know, the thing is, is that I don't think Rex Brothers himself is any great shakes to begin with. I mean, he's been pretty darn lucky all season. His left on base percentage is a ridiculous 94%. His um, Sierra is actually only a bit lower than Betancourt's. Uh, and if we're worried about Betancourt's velocity, of course, that's kind of breached the 90-mile-per-hour plateau, which is, I think, a bit more problematic than Brothers' velocity loss. But Brothers has lost velocity, too, and 2 miles per hour is pretty significant from 95.3 to 93.4. And so I, I don't think that Brothers is, is really an automatic either if they decided to – him the job for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, but uh, he's been groomed for this for so long. He still gets the whiffs, uh, and, and control hasn't proven in the past to be uh, of tantamount importance to your closer role, uh, to holding on to your closer role. So, um, I'd be, I, you know, I'd be pretty happy. I think R- brothers should be owned in all leagues by this point, um, all saves leagues, and uh, I'd be pretty happy to hold on to him if he got the, the roll back.
1: Do you think he's going to be the closer next year? Yeah. And when you would you value him higher than you valued Betancourt preseason? I would think. I, I guess yes, just because it was always the possibility that Betancourt got gets traded and he loses the closer role. Whereas next year, you pretty much know that Brothers is going to be a rocky all season, and the only reason he would lose the job is if he didn't perform well. So I also an
0: age concern. I mean, you know, brother, Betancourt is 38 going into the season. I, I don't bet on a lot of 38-year-old closers.
1: Right. So so I'm right in thinking that you would like brothers as a closer next year in fantasy drafts better than you liked Betancourt this year.
0: Yeah, but still not, you know, still not
1: up echelon. I don't think.
0: Not, you know, not with the you know, potential whip-killing. Uh, yeah and, and, as you said, the velocity loss,
1: yeah I, yeah, that walk rate is not something that you really want to see from your closer i mean it 's okay if you 're striking out well above a batter per inning i mean he he 's still his overall skills package is still pretty decent, i mean, he does strike out over a batter per inning, he does get ground balls, so the walks don 't kill him, but it 's just not like you said top tier, so and of course, he calls course field home and. It, the Rockies have not exactly been a great team for save opportunities in years past just because they've always been in higher-scoring games. And and I mean, when was the last time they've even had a 40-save closer? I can't remember the time. It's probably been a while. Yeah, maybe that's true. Uh, I'll check it out. All right. Well, while you do that, we can move along to another injury. Joe Maurer placed in the seven-day concussion DL. And now there's talk from Ron Garn- Gardenhire that – he can make the move to first base permanently. And now I assume that they're not necessarily talking about this year. I mean, they still obviously have Justin Morneau there. They're, they're talking about more in the future. Am I correct?
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because it'll, it'll lead to uh, a a little short term boost in his value because I do think that a year at first base would be healthier than a a year at catcher. Um, And, that, um, that uh, he uh, would, in that short run, maybe play enough catcher, so there might be even two years of, of added boost where you know he's playing a little bit more, he's healthier, and he's still got catcher eligibility. but of course, it would hurt you in the long term as a keeper dynasty owner.
1: Yeah, and th- the funny thing is is normally you wouldn't really like it from an offensive standpoint, moving a catcher who comes in with above-average catcher offense to first base, you would think, oh, well, they're not going to really get enough offensive production at first base. But he has a career 3.77 Wobo, which is still pretty darn good and and perfectly acceptable for first base. It would just be the shape of his performance wouldn't necessarily be your prototypical first baseman. It's more, um, I don't know, James Loney-esque, but obviously he doesn't have the on-base percentage. But, you know, the, the high walk, good batting average, uh, below average power you don't normally see that from a first baseman but again it doesn't really matter where the shape is it just matters how the overall production is and, and he's plenty good enough to play first base and perform there yeah that's true
0: it's a interesting
1: conundrum actually um, that uh, I guess
0: he's more like a like Hosmer and that you know it's strange oh they had one 40 save closer in their history wow Sean Chicoan no, that's pretty good. He's actually tied for second. And it's not Houston Street. He had 35 tied with Sean Saccone. It is Jose Jimenez.
1: He w- Oh, my God. I didn't even remember him being a closer. I just remember him being a starting pitcher. And didn't he have a no-hitter?
0: He's the guy who had the bad no-hitter, I think.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's not a name that I even remembered. That's pretty crazy. Well,
0: he has, he has some of the best uh, seasons for them, actually. Closing-wise, let me – I'm going to sort by uh, wins about replacement here real quick. And – oh, Gabe White. Well, he was starting. (laughs) Who's that? Laskanek.
1: Curtis Laskanek. Their best reliever. Blast! Brian Brian Fuentes, third. Oh, good old Brian Fuentes. Did he officially retire? Because he's been – I mean, he was – He was in the league like last year, I think. He was uh, possibly in the Angels, and and he just wasn't any good anymore. But I don't remember if he retired officially.
0: His last Roto-Wire note comes from 2012. It says, Fuentes, personal, does not plan on returning to the Cardinals this season. I didn't even know he's on the Cardinals.
1: (laughs) No. All right, then. He could have duked it out with Edward Mujica for the closer role. Good thing. Oh, so how worried are you about this shoulder thing with Mujica, actually? I... I mean, he, he sounded like it was no big deal. And you always worry when players downplay it, but I guess we'll have to see when they have another safe situation if he's going to go back out there. Because, I mean, I haven't read anything updated since then. So I would think if it was a, a real issue, they would rush him to the uh, MRI, see if there's any damage or whatever, and and you know place him on the DL. But nothing has really happened. So... I don't know. Uh, You know, he gave up a big homer,
0: and um, if you look at his history, he he had a year with the Padres of all places where he gave up a homer. He gave up 1.8 homers per nine. Um, So he's had homeritis before, and he gave up a homer in that game. I suppose uh, the Cardinals, who don't have him signed through the future and have, you know, awesome Trevor Rosenthal in in the eighth inning, uh, are just going to watch his homers and you know if they if if if, they, if he gets you know a couple homers in a row then they just make the switch i mean i don't think that they have that much loyalty to him and in the past they've switched closers pretty quickly actually so um i think uh i think it could be rosenthal this year and i you know it's not the nice thing about owning rosenthal is that he's still going to help you you know he's still going to give you tons of strikeouts and great ratios in the meantime um, and it's not going to suck to own him uh but i i don't think he's a must own in the same way that Sort of Rex Brothers and uh, whoever you like between Tommy Hunter and, and Francisco, Francisco Rodriguez are.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm still holding out hope that Trevor Rosenthal gets another shot at being a starter, just because I mean, throwing 97 in the bullpen means he'd probably be throwing 94, 95 in the starting rotation. So
0: they got an embarrassment of riches.
1: Yep, yeah, it's true. All right, let's talk about. So we actually got, or I got uh, a Twitter. A request after the show on Tuesday. We have not talked about Paul Goldschmidt all season long. How did that happen? You know, I think it
0: happens a lot, actually, with the the really excellent pitch, uh, players. You're just like, well, what can I
1: say? He's really good. Yeah. he, he Actually, this surprises me because he's tied for thir- – well, he's 13th. I don't know how Fangraphs ranks if they go further than one decimal place, but he's ranked 13th in all of baseball in war. And to be honest, I expected better than that. I I guess first base, the uh, offensive baseline is just higher, and that's why. But are you surprised at all by his huge, I guess, breakout this year?
0: Well, I mean, the risk going into it was that he was a righty that, you know, didn't have great platoon splits against righties, and that's terrible news. Um, you know in you know for most of baseball, but the thing that I you know think about platoon splits is I'll take advantage of them on a daily basis, but I not might not necessarily worry too much about them in, in a young player because what we've learned from statistics is that, um, that platoon splits take a really long time to be predictive on a seasonal level. so um, as you can see with Bill, will Venable, you know this far into his career, he's suddenly doing better against lefties. I think that's mostly because we didn't actually know his true talent against lefties. And if you have a problem against lefties, you have a problem against righties, you're going to see a lot more righties. And we're going to know a lot quicker if you have a problem against righties. It's a lot easier to get 1,000 plate appearances against righties than it is to get them against lefties. So, you know, we didn't have 1,000 plate appearances of, of, of Major League work from Goldschmidt against righties. This year he's, he's, not, uh, he's not swinging at the, the pitch low and away from righties. And uh, he suddenly there's no platoon splits, and uh, he's awesome.
1: Yeah, and the thing with Goldschmidt is that his batted ball distance last year ranked 19th in all of baseball, 300 feet, and that suggested a much higher home run per fly ball ratio than 14% that he posted last year. So last year, he ended up hitting a lot of doubles, 43 doubles, but just 20 home runs. This year, he is hitting the ball further, he's actually leading all of baseball in distance, but he's basically reversed those doubles and home runs. The doubles have become home runs, and now the doubles have basically disappeared, So his ISO isn't actually up this year as much as I would have expected based on the uh, home run surge. And you see this a lot, that doubles become home runs, and it basically is just uh, a change in extra base hits. So I think this is, based on batted ball distance, I think this is closer to the real Paul Goldschmidt than last year. I wouldn't necessarily think a 26% home run per fly ball ratio is repeatable. I mean, maybe based on that distance, but I – probably would regress it a little bit, but this is clearly a 30 to 35 home run guy, especially if you look at his minor league statistics. He was an absolute power monster. So he's not a 20 home run guy. He's at least a 30 home run guy every single year.
0: Yeah, the only thing I actually worry about long term, because he's 26 now, is that uh, as he starts getting closer to his peak years, that the strikeout rate actually goes the other way, just because You know, when he was young in the minor leagues, he had a couple bad strikeout years. And there is some swing and miss in his game. Although he's really improved that right now. I could see the bell curve, you know. I think that what we'll see on the other end of his peak is is the batting averages go back down. Yes. uh, And the stolen bases go away. But, you know, he's still 26, so he's still got two, three more years before he really has to worry about that. But he's probably at the end of his improvement in strikeout rate, So maybe he can hold steady at... 23 percent, and still have a good batting average in the meantime. But you know, it's going to erode at the end.
1: Yeah, uh, he actually make uh, so his swinging strike percentage is actually better than the league average, which is pretty crazy given his bad strikeout rates in the minors. And yeah, I
0: don't. I mean, I it's really surprising actually. I mean, that's what. That's why he's crept up on people. It wasn't, I mean, people saw the home runs in the minor leagues were like, okay, this guy has power, but can he, they said, can he hit righties and can he, you know, avoid the strikeout? Because if you strike out 27% of the time in high A, you could strike out 35% of the time in the majors. And uh, he really turned that around.
1: Yeah, he's also got a great batted ball profile, 23% line drives. He doesn't pop up the ball. He doesn't hit too many fly balls, not too many ground balls. So it's a perfect profile for a, a high BABIP. And and right now he's at 330. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if that went a little higher. It looks like he's got the batted ball profile to do that. And he, he's not a, a complete zero in terms of speed, so he could leg out some infield hits. Obviously, the steals show you that. So, I mean... I, I don't see a fluke at all. I mean, this is a guy who I think he's arguably a first-rounder next year.
0: Oh, I mean, 40-15? He's going to end up 40-15 with hundreds and runs in RBI and, you know, close to a 300 batting average? I mean, yeah, he's going to be the top first baseman.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only reason I say arguable is I'm not saying that this year wasn't worth first-round value, but... Right. times, some people aren't going to believe the breakout. He only hit 20 home runs last year, so which is real. And I think this year is more real than last year. So I do think that he's probably a guy who, probably the later first-round pick, just because he is a first baseman and there are obviously a lot of good first basemen. I mean, Prince Fielder was still, uh, he's actually Prince Fielder with steals.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I, would, pro- I would project him for 280-30-10 next year.
1: i uh, more than that. Just, I, I'd go 35 home runs at least next year.
0: Well, I, I was trying to be safe. I was, you know, <laughs> my safe projection would be 280, 30, 10, which would would definitely put him in the late first round. But if you if you uh, you know, as we seem to both believe that he, that it's uh, pretty real, you could push that into you know four, five, six territory right after, you know, the very best outfielders that have a little bit more speed uh, and maybe in a five outfielder league are more more valuable and maybe behind um, some middle infielders that uh, that that breakout. Yeah, I mean, Cano is always going to be, you know, right outside the top three or in the top three.
1: Yeah, you know what? Next year should be interesting because Ryan Braun can very well fall out of the first round. Uh, well, Carlos Gonzalez is still there. McCutcheon is still there. Cano is still there. Poolholz drops out of the first round. Uh, Prince Fielder may drop out of the first round. So there's a lot of guys dropping out of the first round, and guys like Goldschmidt are going to be taking their place.
0: And I would just actually say in general it's not obvious who's going to Jump in there because a lot of the guys that were supposed to jump in there, Hayward, Harper, uh, those guys aren't, you know, didn't have the seasons that pushed them in there. You know, guys that I like, Jason Kipnis, he had a great season, but it's not a first round season right now. He might have first round talent in the future, but that's a little bit hard to, you don't want to pay first round for maybe first round, so um, you know, it's it's. I don't think you know Segura was great at the beginning, but you know he doesn't look like a first rounder now that he's rest a little bit. Chris
1: Davis is going to go in the first round in some leagues. I wouldn't advise it, but he's going to in some leagues.
0: Yeah, I won't take him.
1: Yeah, uh, Clayton Kershaw, I'm sure, will go in the first round in a bunch of leagues as well.
0: Not yeah, and I won't take him. You know, I, those pitchers. Uh, yeah. So I'll 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 probably have a hard time um, with a tenth, you know, a tenth of overall pick next year. Unless Goldschmidt's there for me, then I then I would so happily take him. But I I doubt he would be.
1: Yeah, I yeah. The the question is when those stolen bases disappear, because you know they will eventually, and it's just a matter of not drafting him in the year where he goes from mid-teen steals to like three. You know what's going to happen at some point. We just don't. Know yeah,
0: that. yeah, it's true. I mean, they just you know, it's like you know, Joey Votto came to the realization that you know he wasn't necessarily helping his team a ton with the stolen bases, and he was putting himself at risk, so. I think uh, you know every power hitter comes to that realization at some point.
1: Yeah, it happened with Matt Holiday as well, uh, Nick Marcakis. Well, he wasn't a power hitter, but... Uh,
0: yeah, that was just maybe his wheels falling apart a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Carlos
1: Lee, he actually stole like 15, 20 bases at some point. Yeah, I remember those days, yeah. So it happens to everybody. All right, let's move along to Sonny Gray, who I had a choice. There was a time where he was first called up, where he was available in both labor and tout wars, and I'm analyzing him... And I didn't, I didn't know what to make of him and If you look at his A, his strikeout rate was pretty pathetic And then all of a sudden he struck out about a batter per inning at AAA this year And I, I don't really know that much about Sonny Gray So I didn't know what to make of that significant increase in strikeout rate And how legit it was So obviously what he's done so far in the majors has been fantastic But the question is, can he keep it up?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it might have been a little bit about the quality of his curveball, um, and maybe a little bit of a velocity boost, a velocity boost that uh, that helped him there. Um, and uh, he uh, he really the best thing about his curveball is actually that um, he really places it well. I think he he uh, has a real good sense of where to put it because if you look at the peripherals on the curveball, they're not really great. I mean. Eleven percent whiffs, ten uh, percent ground balls. Uh, the ground ball is a little bit above average. The whiffs a little bit below average, actually. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's not. Uh, actually, I'm looking at Tommy Hunter's page here. That's stupid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> stupid page. Sunny, sunny Gray's curveball, fifteen percent swinging strike, which is average.
0: That's right on average. Um, and uh, and gets a lot of ground balls. And he gets a lot of ground balls. So I think that he uses it as a, sort of a – and it's actually his change is really good too. It, that one gets even more ground balls and even more whiffs uh, – fewer whiffs but more ground balls. So I think he gets the ground balls with the with, the, with the change up. He's uh, got good uh, ball rates on all of his off-speed pitches. So, you know, he actually has better ball rates on all of his off-speed pitches than he has on his four seam. So – that's the odd guy that has better control of his of his secondary stuff than he has of his uh, of his fastball. But, you know, the fastball goes 93, 94. Uh, he's got good control. He can put that curve wherever he wants it. Um, so I really like him. He's in that great home park. Um, you know, it's a great place to be a fly ball hitter. Also, all the foul outs. So, yeah, I, I love him. You know, the question is, someone asked me, put him up against Zach Wheeler, but, you know. I know Zach Wheeler has the control problems, but I think I would rate more of Zach Wheeler's secondary pitches better on stuff and um, Wheeler pitches in the NL. So, you know, it's pretty amazing that Sonny Gray has has risen that fast to where he's being compared with someone who was, you know, a top, 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 uh, starting pitcher prospect coming into the season. Uh, but I, I would put Sonny Gray just an inch behind Zach Wheeler for next year.
1: All right. Let's talk about the last player and – You know your team is desperate for pitching when you sign Daisuke Matsuzaka, and that's exactly what the Mets did today. They just lost Henry Mejia, Jeremy Hefner, so they're really hurting here, and it takes a lot to to sign a guy like Daisuke at this point in his career.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, what's stupid is that they're not necessarily desperate for pitching. I mean, they have a lot of great pitching in the minor leagues. I guess they just don't want to bring them up and um and use them i mean rafael montero is a, a, an interesting lesser mentioned pitcher uh but i guess they don't want to to push the innings too far
1: and since uh, apparently they don't want to call up and throw him into the rotation
0: right exactly and there might be 40 man issues Probably maybe those guys aren't on the 40 man although i mean i guess daisuke isn't either but putting a guy on the 40 man uh does certain things in terms of um you know uh, their prospect eligibility and so on and so forth so um, you know I think that uh, uh, it's smart to do what they're doing but it's also painful to watch Dice pitch he pitches so slowly uh, and it's you know none of the stuff has any of the the same sizzle it used to when it did barely have sizzle and uh, you know but the thing is I will say the Mets uh, have watched Mike Calvary be slow and terrible for a long time so they're used to it
1: (laughs) Uh, slow death. So I, mean, there's really no fantasy value here, assuming that he does take over the number five role in the rotation, right?
0: I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, own him in fantasy.
1: Yeah, I mean the positives: National League, pitchers park. He's shown some strikeout ability in the past, but. Yeah, I would be really desperate for pitching before I took a chance in an NL only league on Dice K. You would? Well, I mean, if it's debating between he and some other fifth starter that you know is bad, at least you know that he has shown some strikeout ability. He isn't – there are some positives here that he might be – better than one guy you're debating between in an all league if you're desperate for pitching?
0: Yeah, I mean, he struck out eight per nine last year. I guess that's right. Uh, his projections, though, are all over four ERA. The, the, Bill James is always the nicest projection going into the season. 150 innings of four ERA, 138
1: whip. Uh, Bill James. <laughs> <laughs> He has to take his name off of that system. But it's not, I think the misconception is that people think that Bill James is in his basement manually projecting every player and that's not the case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I think you're right that he needs to divulge, diverse himself from that. I, I just I feel like those, you know, people are like, wow, Bill James, always so, you know, it started with Don Brown 30-30 in his rookie season.
1: Yeah. Uh, look at that strikeout rate projection. His strikeout rate projection is a full strikeout higher than the second highest. He's at 8.1. Zip's second highest is 7.1. It's just like, it's just funny looking at the Bill James projections sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where they get these numbers from. Oh, Bill. Oh, Bill. Silly man, you. <laughs> Oh, you know what it is? Is he still working with the Red Sox?
0: Yeah, I don't think (laughs) he has anything to do with
1: those projections anymore. I think –
0: I I forgot who runs them, but I don't think he has anything to do with them anymore.
1: No, I don't think he's ever had anything to – it was all some computer-generated system that obviously inflated everything.
0: Yeah.
1: All right, well, that will do it for us today. So join us again on Sunday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.